This episode is brought to you by Harris Resort SoCal. Nestled against a rolling hillside and just down the road from Palomar Mountain, guests at Harris Resort SoCal can expect gorgeous views, friendly staff, available night and day to encourage everyone to have a great time. When I was there recently, I had a chance to dine at California's first and the nation's largest house kitchen. And it's true, the beef wellington and sticky toffee dessert are great. The restaurant is inspired by the hit TV show and features a menu approved by the Michelin star celebrity chef, Gordon Ramsay himself. Hope to see you all at Harris Resort SoCal in 2024. Uh, my name is Toy Nguyen. I am chef and co-owner of Didi in West Hollywood. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over. Thank you so much, and congratulations on opening DD. It's so exciting uh, to hear about. Thank you. Have you have you gone? Have you visited us yet? I have not because during the opening, many of my friends uh, were scheduled to go and I kept getting asked to come and I just got back from vacation. So I will be making my way out very soon. Mm -hmm. I'll take that excuse. I'll take the vacation excuse, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Well, congratulations once again. Where, where did you grow up? Well, half of my life, I grew up in Vietnam. So I was born and went to school there. First language was Vietnamese. Um, and then the other half of my life, when I moved over to the States when I was eight years old. Um, I grew up in Oxnard. Are you familiar with Oxnard? Yeah, I sure am. Yeah. So I grew up in Oxnard, um, went to school over there, high school. And then um, as soon as I graduated high school, I moved to LA to go to culinary school. Oh, where, where did you go to culinary school? I went to culinary school in the in North Hollywood. It's called the Arts Institute. My brother went to the Art Institute in Santa Monica and he studied design. So I know. Um, Damn. Damn. <laughs> you know, let's talk about that. So do you think that having that foundation in the kitchen at a school served you or do you think it, it it's really a scam? Well, when I say that it's a scam, I think it's more so like it's so expensive for what you get, right? Like you pay what $25,000 a year and it's like two to four years. Um, and where I was going, they were basically putting us in like the same classes over and over again with just like different titles for the classes. And that's and, and like the school got sued for it and everything. So like, I know I wasn't the only one like being scammed, you know, um, but what I learned in school was um, very helpful. Um, the skills that I learned through school was very helpful, but I feel like I could have gotten um, those skills just working at a kitchen, you know, um, working like in real life instead of like paying the money to go to school for that, I could have just like worked on a, on the line or as a prep cook or something, you know? Okay. I want to get into the weeds with this because um, I think that when I haven't been to culinary school, so I'm just imagining that the things that you learn in the classroom breaks down like the core, like all of the foundational stuff when you are, when you are going through class. And then when you get into the real world, you get this sort of um, background understanding of like the, the food that you're preparing. 
Yeah, like you learn techniques and you learn kitchen safety and you learn just like all the technical stuff about like the culinary world and like how you how you're supposed to do certain things right but like culinary school really doesn't teach you like your style of cooking like they don't teach you how to make food delicious like they they'll tell you to salt your food and all of that but it you they, you don't really go into like the nitty-gritty of like this um uh, of like teaching you how to build flavors um it's more so just like techniques and like the technicalities of cooking you know and so for me I always say that I learned I learned cooking and I learned how to cook through culinary school but my style of cooking I learned it through eating my mom's food mm. and eating the food that like I grew up eating which is Vietnamese food what made you decide to want to go into food well, my mom, um, she she's a great cook, but she did not like people in her kitchen. Um, so I I love food and I've I always wanted to learn, but like I didn't get the opportunity to do it because she's she was like one of those moms where you, she's like, no, get out of my kitchen. You're going to make a mess. Um, and so like I was never really allowed in the kitchen, but I was always really in interested in food just because like um it's I, I honestly don't know what stems from it maybe it was because when I moved over here I watched like a lot of television and I watched a lot of Food Network and so like that was probably where like my love of food and cooking came from um but yeah like it wasn't until culinary school where I actually like got behind the fire and like started cooking and started to learn how to cook properly um yeah but that decision to go you had to like kind of run it through your mom and dad or but then they push back on it they definitely did because like through my whole like high school career it was like oh I'm gonna be a nurse I'm gonna apply to nursing school like it was like a straight like straight line you know um and they're like yeah okay cool and then as soon as um uh senior year came around and everybody started to do their college applications and the pressure was like getting real and I just I, I just knew deep down I knew it like I just knew deep deep down that like I wasn't gonna finish because that just wasn't something that I was interested in. I I wasn't interested in becoming a nurse or a doctor or anything in the medical field. And like I didn't feel that passion, and I didn't feel like it would make me happy. I didn't feel like it would. I would find joy in it. And so I just asked myself like, what would you find joy in? And at that moment, honestly. It was just like, what if you pursue food? I literally just asked myself, what if you pursue food because you like to eat? Um, like, what if you just apply to culinary school and see what you get from it? And it was just a what if, wow. you know, it wasn't even like a, okay, this is this is my action plan. This is what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to like have a restaurant and then I'm going to do this, that and the third. It was more like, I just feel like I would feel more joy over here versus going to nursing school. And I, I don't know what gave me the balls to do it. I just did it. And at that moment, like, I remember telling my parents, I remember that night very vividly. It was like, my, my dad was like folding laundry and I came up to him and I was like, Hey, um, can I talk to you? 
And then I just told her, I was like, I'm not going to apply to nursing school. I waited, actually, I waited until my application to the Arts Institute was accepted. And so I was like, I got accepted into culinary school. And it was like the longest pause of my life. <laughs> he gave me the longest pause. There was no reaction, no anything. It was just like quiet, long pause, stops, field. yes, <laughs> completely. And then he goes, you want to cook for people for the rest of your life? What is this? This is so, this is what happened to uh, nursing school? What happened to this, that, you know? And I was just like, I, I just told him and I was being very honest. And I, I was like, I honestly don't feel like I would, um, I would finish. I'm sorry. Like, I just don't feel that that's where I belong. I don't feel like that's what would that's where my path is. And my mom came out of the shower now. And he he goes, uh, ask your daughter what she wants to do. Ask her right now. <laughs> and it's so I told her and it was also another long pause. And I just remember them just being so upset and just being like, you want to, you want, I, we came over here so you can cook for people, you know, and it was just like, ouch I'm sorry but like this is something that I want to do and so eventually they were like um well if this is really something that you want to do then you go ahead and do it and you support yourself um so I didn't get any support from them meaning like they didn't help me out with uh like uh rent or anything when it came to like me living out in LA um and they they, they just didn't help me and so I remember like for the first few months going to culinary school, I would like live in my car because I couldn't afford to, yeah. I couldn't afford anywhere in LA. And at that time, like I didn't know people in LA that would like, I don't know, couch surf or like stay over, you know? So like eventually I would make friends that would like let me stay at their house or, and then eventually I found like a room for rent, you know? But yeah, like I remember living in my car and showering. So my school was right in front of like a 24 hour fitness. And so I would have that uh, membership and I would go and shower at the gym. Um, and then there was like a Panda Express uh, right next door to the gym. And it was like I I would go in and get like a plate, a Panda plate, and I would portion it out for like breakfast, lunch and dinner. And then uh, I would park my car at the Ralph's in like down the street. Like I remember this, this, this every time I go in that it's the arts district in North Hollywood. So every time I go in that area and I'm just like, wow, I can't believe like, like for some weird reason, that area felt like home to me because that was like one of my very like core experience when I first moved to LA. That, is fucking insane insane <laughs> but it, it, in the moment honestly it when you're going through it it was just like you keep your head down and you just put one foot in front of the other and you just you just gotta go and you're just gonna do it and that's honestly how i got through it because it, there wasn't a moment where i felt sorry or i felt bad for myself because at that moment i was like this is you said that this is what you want to do um so just do it <laughs> all right so did you ever have to go to therapy to unfuck like that 
<laughs> that you have with your mom and dad? I mean, how is it going with them and you? Um, I, I'm going to therapy now. And it, it, it's honestly not really like that moment didn't really fuck me up as much as like my childhood did, you know? And so now I'm just like unlearning all like the toxic behaviors. I mean, like my parents had me young. And so it was just like kids raising kids. You know, so like now I have a better understanding of like why did they did the things that they did, and like, and at the end of the day, they just wanted the best for me. Yeah. Now, did you ever have to confront them for like I can't imagine not being support supported for years or months after you're like showing dedication to the journey, and then they're like still not like really backing you up because they don't agree with. Yeah, they didn't really understand. They really didn't understand what I even did before, like, the restaurant, you know? Because, like, Asian parents, like, what are you... When they brag to their friends, if you're a doctor and a nurse, that's an easy brag. Oh, my daughter's a nurse. You know, like, that's that's an easy brag. But it's like, if I make videos on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok, how are they going to brag to their friends about it? So it wasn't like they couldn't, they, they knew that I could support myself now, but they didn't understand, like, to what extent and how. You know, they don't really understand, like, the social media world. And so... Like now that the restaurant is here, they could be like, oh, okay, this is a, like, this is a, this is a, a, a place, a thing that I can show people that I can like tell them to visit, you know? So that's an, that's like an easier way for them to be like, oh, this is what my daughter does. <laughs> but when you were growing up, did they see, or did you exhibit any signs of like loving food, making food? I mean, of course, eating food, but did you exhibit signs of like really mechanically getting into the kitchen and all that? just eating food and because my mom was my mom was always like no don't get into the kitchen with me I would be scared to be in the kitchen with her right but whenever um I would be home alone I loved loved to just be in the kitchen and play around um and then I would obviously make a mess and then she'd be like see you always make a mess in my kitchen and after you graduated uh from from art institute where did you what did you think that you where did you think that you were headed? Um, well, right soon after I graduated, like a couple months after like COVID started, um, and the shutdown happened. And that was honestly when my career really like skyrocketed because of the videos that I would post because up until then, I didn't post cooking videos. I didn't post cooking content. I posted eating content. I would post um, like travel eating content, but it wasn't it, it wasn't until the pandemic where I was like, well, I can't travel anywhere. I can't visit any restaurants. So uh, let's just show people you know how to cook because up until that point, I was still very insecure of showing people what I know just because I feel like I... I should get more experience and I still have a long ways to go when it comes to cooking. Um, I, I, I wasn't sure yet and I just went for it and it was very well received. And so I was like, okay, I don't have to be perfect at it. I just have to just keep going because these people love it, you know? You know, along the journey of any Instagram or uh, influencer, there's this sort of shift where you go from like, okay, I'm just making videos to like, I'm bringing in cameras and I'm going hard. Mm -hmm. Did that happen from the beginning for you? Or was it like a gradual shift in growth? 
it was definitely a gradual shift and growth because in the beginning it was just me myself and the and my phone and then I started to get more gear like actual cameras and lights and then I started to learn how to edit so I would just do that all of that by myself and then um up until last year and this year I hired um a a production company that takes care of my content so I just I would just have to show up and film and then they would take care of the editing and the lighting and all of that because doing doing lighting doing sound doing like making sure that you're in frame and also being talent in front of the camera was so much and then after all of that I would have to break it down and then go and edit my own videos that was like a lot of work and burnout was getting real because it was just me you know um but now I have a whole team to like execute and that that makes me feel like I can have more room and space to grow um my business because I'm not worried about oh I need to edit this video you know yeah, I mean your stuff looks amazing. It's dynamic, the cuts and just the framing, the colors, the visuals, it's all perfect. And then even the scripting is like it's move, it moves very it flows and I always thought to myself I'm like, wow, like you go from somebody who is just shooting cooking videos to this level of production, I always know that there's like this journey. But absolutely is the journey and is the growth um, I guess my question is, is it worth the trade-off and handing off that control to a team to do? Oh, yeah, absolutely. For me, I I honestly am not a control freak. Um, in every aspect of my business, I have people in my team that I, I will not work with somebody that I cannot trust. And when it comes to working with new people, I... I give them the benefit of the doubt. And if they give me a reason to not trust them, I just cut it off, right? But every single person that I'm working with right now that's on my team, they just all want the best for me. And that's all that I could ask for. When it comes to my manager, when it comes to my lawyers, when it comes to my business manager, I trust them. And um, uh, my production a company like I trust everything that they do but like obviously they would have to get the green light for me you know um but yeah like I think having a, a really solid team and surrounding yourself with people that just want to see you win is like a recipe for success when along the journey did you go oh shit this is real the shit just got real um in your Instagram in your social media journey I think it was when um, I got with my manager in 2020 and I, I, I saw the business that um, he could like I saw the business that he built for a couple of people that I've followed. And I, I understand like I, I I didn't understand at the time how much work it would take to build a business like that. But I was hungry. I was ready to work. I was ready to do anything. You know, at that point, I was living like I moved back home um, when COVID started. So I was like, I had, I have nowhere to go at there's, it's only up from here, you know? So like whatever that like he told me I should do with my content, like I did. Um, and I listened to his advice and like, it's, it's been up ever since, wow. you know, two things. How did you meet your manager 
And what kinds of things did he tell you to do that changed the game for you? So my manager, his name is Ray Hughes. And I think he's one of the best managers in the game because he, he, he's not money hungry. He chooses talent that he really, really believes in. And he's very, very um, like choosy with the talent that he wants to work with. Um, and he saw me through social media. He started following me and he started keeping up with like all the content that I would do. He really liked me in front of the camera and we set up a meeting and I wasn't really looking for a manager at that time, but I, it, it wouldn't hurt to get one. Yeah. You know, um, I was doing all of my business deals. I have no idea how to do business deals. I don't know how to negotiate, you know, like before him, whatever the brand said that I would get paid, I would say yes, you know, um, but, but then he would come in and like do all the, the business side of like the brand deals and everything. And, um, I think he just he just understands how to build a solid foundation for a long term success because he's not in it for like just quick money. I think he's he's really in it for like big and long term success. And that's how like the 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 advice that he would give me is just to be consistent because really at the end of the day, consistency is key no matter what you do and what field you're in. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and he keeps me and he keeps me and my team in check every single day. And wow. he keeps everyone sharp, very, very sharp. Amazing. And what what were the things that he told you to do? I mean, I don't want to give away any secret sauce, but like No, there's there's honestly no secret sauce. He literally just told me like listen like you're gonna have to work hard and like it's gonna be a lot of work but at the end of it it's gonna be worth it um as long as you're consistent as long as you're constantly telling your truth your story and as long as you're providing people with value then that's your key to success that's that's the secret sauce you know, like you just be, be the one thing about social media is like people can see through your bullshit anytime, any day and with any type of content, you know. So it's like just be real. Just be you. Stay true to, your, true to yourself. Keep telling your story. Keep inspiring people with your story because there's so many of people that are going through the same thing, you know, and they can relate and, and be relatable. Don't be a fucking cool guy. I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't cuss, but don't be a cool guy, you know, but uh, like he just tells me to always just be relatable because at the end of the day, that's what people like. That's what people watch me for. And I have no reason to not be relatable, yeah. you know? Speaking of being relatable, uh, I was really touched to learn about your trip to Vietnam recently with a group of 40, I believe. Yes. What is that all about? I know we're going to get to the restaurant and everything, but before we build up to that, what I know there's just so many things. It's it's crazy because I I have all these ideas in my head, and and my manager asked me when we first started. He was like, "Okay, list all the things that you want to achieve, and list all the things that you want to do, even if it sounds crazy right now. Mm. Just list them all, right?" And I listed a whole list, and three years later, we're probably like more than halfway through the list. Wow! Right? Um, but one of my the reason why i i make 
recipe videos and specifically Vietnamese recipe videos is because I love to share the culture with everybody. Like for me, as a as a a young woman coming from Vietnam, I in my brain I still think in Vietnamese and I still find so you know how like when you're in Vietnam and you I don't know if you can relate to this but in Vietnam I would have like a group of friends and a group of people that I would hang out with and when I came over here I would find like commonalities between the people that I hung out with versus uh with over in America in Vietnam you know so I would compare and contrast like a lot of like the differences and the similarities of like oh that's different this is how we do it in Vietnam you know I was never like shy to show people like how we do it in Vietnam and the culture just because I just think that like like you know that lunchbox um story that like all the immigrants uh, all the immigrants yeah, it's called Gamana. it's called a gaman and I have it in my notes to ask about that too ah yeah so like I, I remember there was this one time where I, I had like a, um, what is it? Tit call. I, my mom packed tit call for me and it was so good. I was, I was eating it for lunch and this kid was like, what is that? And I was like, it's good. Do you want to try it? I was never, ever embarrassed. Never, you know, like never, ever embarrassed of the food that I ate and never, ever embarrassed of the culture that I come from. And so for me, I love to um, just showcase the culture. And so the trip is the way for me to do that, like through my recipe videos, but then the trip itself, like bringing people to Vietnam, like actual physically bring them to Vietnam and show them around and have them be in that environment, driving them around in those like mopeds. It's, it's, you can't like find that anywhere else in the world. And like Saigon is such a, it, I don't know the energy of Saigon is so different the energy in Vietnam itself is so different and you and when you see you with your own eyes like the the street vendors like how there actually are over there and you, and how the people of Vietnam are it, it just changes you and and I just want to I just want to expose more people to that and and how did you get to share that trip I mean did you have an open call for uh, your audience or what was the procedure what was the protocol to get those 40 to Vietnam so yeah um, we worked through a travel agency in Vietnam and uh, what we did was like we would do a background check on all the people that like applied and paid for the trip and if there was like anything sus we'd be like no you can't go but like honestly all the people that like go on my trips they're mostly like young Asian girls and it's like a big girls trip and it's so fun. And how long have you been doing it and how many times have you been doing it? So last year was my first time and this year I'm doing it again. This episode is brought to you by Somkai Distillery, my only go-to gin company. Established in 2018, Somkai Distillery is Vietnam's first gin distillery founded by Daniel Nguyen, a Vietnamese American from Southern California. No matter how many people I have at my parties, we are always pouring Somkai Gin. Somkai Gin is handcrafted in small batches and prioritizes using botanicals and ingredients that are native and heirloom to Vietnam. The result is a product uniquely Vietnamese in taste and aroma. Somkai is now growing to include rice wine and traditional Vietnamese herbal liqueurs similar to Amaro. 
Songhai prides itself in Vietnam, from the farmers who grow the fruits and herbs to the artists behind the artwork and design. Songhai is a community effort of people who are proud to be Vietnamese and collectively embody the spirit of Vietnam. Well, and there's got to be some hairy situations or some situations where like people are not getting along or, you know, you got one that is honestly like, like I thought it would be like that, but like everybody was like very like, so I had two different groups. One was 20 and one, another one was 20. So it was 40 in total, but like, honestly, everyone like got along and it was such a great, like, thank God there hasn't been any situations and any cat fights yeah. or anything like that, you know? Um, like it's all been like very fun and like everyone really gets along. What a cool thing to do. Really it's, it's is. so cool because it's like you get to bring people over to Vietnam, you get to explore and you get to eat the food and you get to just like hang out, party, have fun. And, and it's like a week. Uh, yeah, this time is 13 days. Yeah. And and I mean, can you go over the basic uh, itinerary of like, what do you do? So um, the first day is always like you, everyone comes in, we have a welcome dinner. That's when everyone gets acquainted and like meet each other. And then the next morning we get started. So last year it was like, it was like, boom, boom, go, boom, go, boom, go. boom, no breaks, right? And so this year, I planned it a little better because last year, I just wanted everyone to feel like they were getting their money's mm -hmm. worth, but they were, I, I was tired. I was like, damn, I need a nap, you know? <laughs> so this year, I scheduled in like some breaks in between. Um, and so we would start in Saigon this year and we would explore the city, go around, and uh enjoy the food and then we're gonna go up to Nyachang. so we all of us are flying together to Nyachang, and we're gonna explore like the beach over there um uh, the clubs and then we're gonna go up to uh what is it hanoi which is i've never been there so and i'm really excited and then we're going to dalak too so yeah these are complete strangers that go it's like it's complete strangers yes but I connect with them through social media. Like for me, I don't, I, I follow everyone. Like if you DM me and you're like, oh my God, I can't wait to go on this trip with you. I follow them back and I get to know them and like watch their stories and see like what they're up to. Because at the end of the day, like these are just, these are regular people. And like, I want to build a relationship with them. That's how, that's how the foundation gets stronger, you know, because if they're willing to support like this trip, whatever I do for the rest of my career, they will also support that. And like just getting, just building that relationship is so, so important to me. It's crazy. I used to talk about like when I first started doing this, I would like come to a podcast episode because somebody was a chef or somebody opened up a restaurant. But then it's like, I kept saying it in the early days where it's like you come for the chef story and then like all these other cool things like this trip that, to me, I would love for this episode to be taken over by, I have like a thousand more questions about this trip, right? Because that's a big risk that you take 40 people that you don't really know on a trip. A lot can go wrong with liability. A lot can go. Oh. And it just seems like it's just happening. And I'm like, that's the best way to be an ambassador to our culture. So bravo and congratulations on that. 
Thank you. It, it, it's all very, very exciting. And I think I think the universe every single day that I have such a strong and solid team that takes care of all the back end. And all I need to worry about is doing you literally that. Yep. It's um, what happens when you trust the people you work with. And it's what happens when you surround yourself with people that just wants to see you win. It's not, it's, it's no secret. There's no secret sauce. <laughs> yeah. But you know, unfortunately a lot of people, whether they're in our culture or from without humans are plagued with traumatic and things that need to heal. And we bring baggage into our relationships and business. And, you know, sometimes we don't trust. And I think that's a Absolutely. hard thing. Yeah. Absolutely. But like, for me, I think it's very simple. Like if you take care of the people that you work with, they'll take care of you. For me, I, I never come to anything with greed. I never do anything with greed in mind. Like, it's never about the money with me. It's always about, like, how is this going to um, improve either me or improve the culture or improve, like, just how can I add value to these people's lives, you know? So, yeah, I think that's it's, it's very simple. So where along the journey did you go, I'm going to open up a restaurant? <laughs> it's so crazy. So um, I, I still think that it's crazy. Every day, every day that I drive to the restaurant, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm driving to the restaurant. <laughs> like driving that that drive from K-Town to WeHo, I'm just like, wow, it, this is crazy. But um, so after the pandemic, um, when everybody started to go back out, again back outside I decided like okay because up until that point I was just like an internet chef a tiktok chef a, a tiktok cook you know and like I wanted to be taken more serious so I wanted to post pop-ups so people that watch my videos online can come and see what I'm doing they can come and try the food out and see if they like it you know um so that's why I wanted to host pop-ups. And my first pop-up was actually at an H-Wood location, which is now Didi. It used to be called Petite Taqueria, and I took that, that place over, and it's now Didi. So such a full-circle moment. But since that pop-up, um, I started to do more and more pop-ups. And it was like, it ranges from like sit down dinners, little course out dinners to just like very simple, like uh, burger pop-ups or sandwich pop-ups. And then I went over to New York with um, Chef Jimmy at Madame Vo and Monsieur Vo. And I did a pop-up over there for that. And that was a success. You know, every single pop-up I did was such a success. And the H-Wood group um, just have kept their eyes on me and was like, well, we don't have anything Asian in our portfolio. Like, and you're doing all these pop-ups. Like, do you think you want to have a place? Like, let's do something. Let's work on something. And then now we have Didi. <laughs> wow. What is the difference between having a daily brick and mortar versus the pop-ups versus cooking online? Oh, it's so different. It's so, so different. So like the pop-ups, it's usually like one or two days, right? And then you're, you're done. That's it. That's a wrap. You can walk away from that. That was a success. 
but a brick and mortar, it's, it's every single day. And you have to keep that consistency going. You have to keep that fire going, you know, like you can't slow down. You can't like, you can't just be comfortable at where you're at. You're constantly having to improve, make menu changes, uh, make sure that the staff is happy, make sure that the cooks are happy, you know, like making sure that like everything is running as it should. It, 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 it's kind of like the way I see like going to the gym, you know, like you can, like your body will still be there and be okay. But like, if you work out every single day and you work at it every day, no matter what it is, like, it's always going to improve. It's always going to just keep going. And if you're not going up, you're going down. So, right. And so it's just like, you just have to keep working at it. You can't just be like, Oh, that was done. Stepping away now. That is so true. In the restaurant business, if you are not going up, you are going down because it's not stagnant. Things are just yeah. not flatlining. They're just nope. there's just so much shit going on. So much, so so much. Where did you get sort of like the inspiration in terms of like design, menu? Where like how do you figure out? Because there's you know, let's be honest, uh, the Vietnamese cuisine, it's it's huge. It's there's a lot that goes on. But where do you sort of find that kind of focus and say, you know, I'm, I'm going to focus on this and not go that way? I think it's so. It's it comes back to just like, what do I like? Hmm. What do I see? How do I visualize this place to be? And when I when I close my eyes before anything any of this started, I imagine this place to be vibrant, to be fun, to be flavorful, to like just because like that's what Vietnamese um like that's that's what Vietnamese culture is. It's so vibrant. It's so flavorful. It's so fun, you know, like when people think about Vietnam, I feel like they think about the war and they think that about how we're still considered a third world country. So they think like people in Vietnam live in huts and shit, you know, and it's like there are parts of Vietnam where that's still around. But like if you go to D1 right now, (laughs) it's 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 Vegas and Miami combined, you know, like people have no idea. And so that's what I really wanted to portray with Didi because not a lot of Vietnamese restaurants get portrayed that way. You know, it's it's usually like a mom and pop shop and you go in and you go out. There's not really great service. The ambiance is, isn't, I mean, you're probably sitting next to like paper towels you know (laughs) so it's just like i i wanted i i love going out in la and in la is restaurants are mostly just vibes and no food i wanted it to be good vibes and good food and that at the end of the day that's that's what dd is i don't know how many chefs i've had on vietnamese chefs that we've talked about southeast asian specifically vietnamese pricing and yeah yeah i know we're gonna go deep on this because is bullshit. You know, you think about a bowl of pho, bowl of ramen, and I have this debate all the time. It's like, there's a lot of shit going on with making a, a pot of pho. There's a lot, yeah. going on, a lot of labor, a lot of time, a lot of gas, but you got to light these things up. Yes. There's so much shit going on and, and people don't realize it. And then when people complain, especially our own community complains yes, about that. the pricing, I lose my shit. So I wanted to discuss... <laughs> 
with you because you're one of the um, restaurants that are in a price range that is appropriately reflecting the level of uh, game that we're talking about here. You know, fun, vibrancy, and flavor. Um, and why, why did you decide? How did you come to that decision to go? Fuck it, I'm going in that price range. Because why not? You know, like I feel like that mentality of like, oh, you should keep your pho at like fifteen, ten dollars. But it's like that is such a limiting thought behind the cuisine. That's not something that we can push forward. You know, like this is honestly like pricing uh, Vietnamese food in a way where it can push the community forward, where it's not seen as like. Um, as like the cheaper alternative is pushing it forward. You know, it's that, that, that thinking is so limiting to chefs and especially like young Southeast Asian chefs, because they think that they should be boxed into like this traditional authentic um, box of like, okay, I should stick to the, I should stick to the authenticity and I should stick to tradition but it's like, where's the room for creativity? Where's the room to grow? Where's, you know, like that's how food evolves over time. People just, people um, play with food and that's how like dishes get changed. That's how different regions have different dishes, but are named the same, you know? So like for me, like the price range, I think um, reflects really well with like the area that Didi is in. And it's also like, we have a lot of ingredients to source. It's not just flour and eggs to make pasta, you know? Like, it's it's so much more to it. So for me, that's like, saying. that's what I, I think. I, I break down it. Let's just say, like, a bowl of $10 pho. I don't know if they're still in existence anywhere. But <laughs> let's say a $10 bowl of pho, we break down into price, right? We know the cost of food should not there's a basic formula, but it should not be over 25% of your retail asking price, right? Typically, that's sort of like the formula. Like you don't want to have your food costs go over 25% of like 10 bucks. Yeah. So it's like, but if you think about it, if you cook at home and you buy all this bone, all these bones and the meats and everything, it's like $8 for a quality bowl of at home, right? By the time yes. you end up, you could even go to $10, $12 for your average bowl of at home. That retail yeah. would be forty dollars. Yes, right? that's an average bowl of pho. And like, and to add on top of that, it's like we also have to pay um, the people that make your pho a living wage. Yeah. So if you like charge for a bowl of pho at ten bucks, you got to be questioning, or twelve bucks, you got to be questioning what are the ingredients? Is it really bones, or is it like bullion cubes that people are tossing in for flavoring? Right. Because at exactly. 250, you cannot get some quality bones inside a really uh, popular fuzz spot. And, you know, it's impossible. So we have to question like, OK, well, let's think about the $25 bowl of a little bit better. But it's nothing like a $40 bowl of fuzz that I make at home for like $10 of like the ingredients. So it's like this math that we don't think about. And we just like to complain about like Vietnamese food costing so much like at a place like Didi. And I want to mm -hmm. dispel that. I want to like make sure people understand like all of these costs go into the final price. Absolutely. And it's also, it's not even just the broth too. It's like, it's what you serve it with. Yeah. Like we serve ours with um, like really great short rib and um, a bone marrow. And so it's just like, 
the addition that's on top of the broth, it's like it goes into that as well. Yeah. And we're blinded by that sometimes. And, you know, we complain about it. I say to everybody who's listening, do not complain online about our pricing. Let's let's elevate and let's um, lift our community and have support for restaurants that are like on the edge, like Didi, who's like really getting us on the map in terms of pricing. I mean, that's like so important that we change that mentality for the second, third generation of Vietnamese people in America. Absolutely, because I think that we deserve to be in that price range. We absolutely do. And like the people that say that we aren't, like I, I, I ask them to like really question why, why, why aren't we supposed to be in that price range? I think we should. Yeah. Now, there must be growing pains in the last few weeks that you know that you've been opening. Um, would you be open to sharing some of the struggles? I think the growing pains just like come from um, training um, the employees that work at DD, uh, whether it's the servers or the cooks, because these are not people that understand and have worked with me throughout. And so they don't really see what I see in my head when it comes to um, how uh, to explain the food and how to cook the food. Because I have a cook that like haven't even had experience on a walk. But but the other but literally just yesterday in the kitchen, he was walking like he was he was like really killing that walk. And like it just made me so happy. But like that wasn't that wasn't because he came in with experience. It was just like him practicing every single night and like us like guiding him through that. And so it's not really like growing pains. It's just more so like, okay, like this is what we need to do in order to make, make this a smooth um, service. Um, And then it's also just like making sure that the quality is up to standard when it comes and, and the consistency is there. And, and do you read the reviews? Because there's a lot of people in social media when we are working in the social media space, we're like, don't read the reviews on the social media comments. But in a restaurant situation, you kind of have to study the reviews to know where you're kind of, and do you study it or do you not at all? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like we definitely look at it and we 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 look at it with a grain of salt because there are people that are like uh, very constructive, but there are people that are just like, they just want, to be haters you know but at the end of the day like for me if it's a constructive comment like I'll take that into consideration and be like okay thank you so much for that like that helps me make this place better if you're going into DD and you're like ah it was okay it wasn't doing it for me I can't do anything with that like I'm sorry like what can I improve on like give me something that I can work with you know so if you're coming in and you're giving me constructive constructive feedback like I would I love 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 would love to hear that you know but if it's comments like "Eh, it was okay or like it it just wasn't for me like I can't do anything with that yeah it's fair it's fair enough it's a it's such a a a tough game um you know I had two restaurants so I understand the grind it is is this just barbaric hours absolutely and like it it, also another thing is like you just can't get let your ego get in the way of like improving your place because like we're not hot shit you know like we're always improving and we're 
every single day we take all the feedback into consideration and we're like okay we can we can make this better we can make that better like it, we're growing every single day and it's that's the only way to do it you know and then I also have to like remind myself like oh don't get in your feelings about this one yeah. because at the end of the day like girl like you are doing the damn thing these people don't have no restaurant so like they don't really know so like for me I take it with a grain of salt I take the constructive criticism and then you just get better. You know, I, I was going to ask about that. This idea of like, you know, being in your emotions and being out of it, you know, at, at a really young age, you be, you, you are thrusted into a leadership position to command and control this whole set of like moving parts, right? How do you deal with that mental health of, you know, the pressures of what goes on in a kitchen? Hmm, that's such a good question. Um, but I think it also it starts from my daily routine of how I how I express my emotions and how I deal with them. Um, I write a lot. I'm a writer, and so I journal. Um, I I just word vomit in my journal and then I reflect on it and I'm just like okay like I process it so uh, that's what I do every day and then like I think working out also really really helps but like for me I that my journaling is my outlet uh, that's a great uh, reply uh, it, you know just what a what a fascinating thing when we can sit and reflect about uh, you know during the day or first thing in the morning and it gives us this sense of like, nothing is really important. You know, it's just another day. Then we yeah. just do our best shit. Yeah, really. Like nothing is so like detrimental to the point where you can't get over it. Right. Yeah. And so for me, I write in my journal to remind me like one foot in front of the other, like things could be worse than this. You could be living in your car, but you're not. <laughs> There's two paths, maybe three, maybe four. There's social media. There's a restaurant. There's traveling to Vietnam with the groups. Where do you think that you are going to land in a few years? You know, I know it's an open-ended sort of like your journey is wide open. You're very young. But where do you think that one day you'll gravitate towards more? Mm, I would love to live overseas. I think that's like one of my main thing. Um, I would love to bring Didi over to Saigon because I still have family that lives over there so I can provide jobs for my family over there because we don't we, my family over there we we don't have any type of business and it's it's really hard to get jobs in Vietnam right now if you're not connected if you don't have connections and, and we're not connected you know and so like for me if I am put in a position where I can do that like I would love to do that yeah but would you live there like for the oh rest yeah i i'm taking i'm i'm moving back home <laughs> I'm, i'll probably like this will be like my ideal uh year half of the year in vietnam and then the other half i can be over here yeah that would be i i like the three months here three months there kind of like move See, like yeah like i think i don't know i think yeah i would just that would just make sense for a Vietnamese girl like me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people uh, who travel back to Vietnam quite a bit, it's weird. Like we talk, I talk about this with my group a lot because a lot of us go back to Vietnam uh, quite a bit. It's the weirdest thing when you go to Vietnam. I don't know, as a Viet Gieu, uh, it's the weirdest thing where you bump into people 
at you know different places because there's like maybe there's not a whole lot of places that you know vidqs hang out and 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 congregate but you see these people and you see friends much 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 more than you do when you live in LA yeah it's so easy to hang out with people in vietnam like it's so easy i don't know what it is maybe it's because like everyone just drives on their motorcycle but like it's just it's so easy but i don't know if that's a function of like being an american we grind 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 and we don't make time or is it because the way vietnam is set up the setting just makes it more inviting and you just always want to be out i think it's the setting i i definitely think it's the setting you know, because like over in Vietnam, I grew up in a, I don't know if you know where this is at, but it's a town called Vũng Tàu. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a beach town. Yeah. So that's, that's my hometown. That's where I was born and raised. And so we would every day, we would go to the beach, go home, eat dinner as a family. And then we drive the beach, wow. we drive around the beach and it, it we just hang out outside, you know, but like when you're over here, you're cooped up inside the house. Like there's nowhere to go. Like my my parents feel like it's dangerous to step outside. <laughs> here, you know, yeah, here. So yeah. they don't go. And I wonder what that is. I mean, is it danger or is it just because we're not? Or the, I, I just think that isn't. It, they're just not familiar, familiar with the area. Yeah. Yeah, it because it's like it's not really dangerous, but it's just like you have no real genetic connection with people here. Yeah, but like when you go like down to places like uh, Little Saigon, like you'll see you'll see the uncles hanging out at the coffee shops. You know, you know. My final so, question is, what does it mean to be Vietnamese to you? Oh my gosh, what is what a hard hitting question! <laughs> great, great question. Um, what does it mean to be Vietnamese to me? Um. It means that it means to just like be myself. And and that's like the one advice whenever people get, ask me for advice. The number one advice is uh, that I always give is to like be yourself, like be like really, truly who you are on the inside. Like that is who you are. And being Vietnamese, that is who I am. That was where I was born. That was where I, I just... I learned all of my, you know, like mannerisms and like that eating Vietnamese food is it, it makes me more me. And so being Vietnamese just to me makes me feel more myself. And where can we find you on social media and where can we find Didi? You can find me on all social platforms at Way to Bay and you can find Didi on all social platforms at Didi WeHo. And how do you spell Tway to Bay? And then how did you come up with that name? I came up with it in high school. It was so like, I've, I've actually never changed it. And it was so random. But there was a guy that I came, I went to high school with. His name is Gabe. And um, his handle was Gabe the Babe. Uh. Right? And somebody one day just called him that, like called him by his at name out loud. And I was like, oh, that's a cool at name. And so... I was like, okay, well, I can say, I can be like, oh, it, my name is Toyota Bay, you know? <laughs> Man, it's so clever. It's super clever. How do you spell that? So it's T-W-A-Y-D-A-B-A-E. 
Thank you so much for coming on today. I had a really good time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day and speaking with me and asking all the hard hitting questions. <laughs> Likewise, I know you're super busy. So thank you once again. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. Special thanks to Brittany Tran, to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at the Vietnamese Podcast. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc